And the spookiest, it's where the action is. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 289. The first episode of the new year. Happy New Year to you. This time around, you are joined by filmmaker and actor Nikki Koss, producer Ryan Delaney, and actor Taylor Gray. Their amazing new movie, Night Night, is available now on VOD. Take a trip into this hypnotic indie thriller soaked in color, inventive use of negative space, unique visual aesthetic, and more. Learn about the challenges and triumphs of banding together and building something incredibly special with the people close to you. Look behind the terrific performances of Taylor and Brenna D'Amico, as well as a look ahead to all the genre fun in store with Nikki's own production company, K-Factor. We love these guys and we love what they do with Night Night. Get inspired with episode 289, now playing. Do you remember anything prior to the accident? Or maybe even the accident? Ideally, a routine traffic accident is now a murder investigation. Miss Davis, I'm Detective Dan Putman, and we're with the Crimes Against Persons Division. It feels so weird to be outside again. It's been five months. You okay? Everything just like turned upside down for a second. Ever since I got out of the hospital, really weird things have been happening. I don't know if somebody's trying to mess with me, hurt me, or if it's just all in my head. That's a pretty big place to be staying alone. I got an email from a travel company I've never heard of before. Places to visit before you die. This family was in every single spot. It was a husband, a wife, and one of the kids was wearing yellow shoes and the other had a stuffed monkey. Have you seen or read anything about your accident? Something strange caught my eyes, so I pulled the AI folder. That's creepy. Do any of these look familiar? That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are three exciting and inspiring storytellers. Beginning with a returning guest, as an actor, she has proven herself to be incredibly diverse, fearless in the way she's able to really give herself to her performances. It is always something we've admired in her over 20 features and short films. Shining through most recently in a powerful piece she starred in called Innocent Goodbye that has impacted festival audiences all over the world. From working with Terrence Malick to Chris Landon on films like Red Wing and Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse and making us tumble into the world of Freeform's acclaimed series Famous in Love, she is ferociously creative. She directed and produced her own web series and several short films. She's a multi-award winner, named as one of Forbes 30 Under 30. She is remarkably selfless, dedicating herself to elevating the voices of others. As a member of Women in Media, Women in Film, Glass Elevator, and the Alliance of Women Directors, she's actively making a difference, forging her own unique path in the entertainment industry, and openly invites those willing to follow. She is the wonderfully magnetic Nikki Koss, also here with us. Someone very special to Nikki and to this project we'll be discussing, beginning as a master of the equestrian arts and an internationally renowned supermodel. He followed his passion of film and TV, where he crafted and hosted his own talk show, appeared in the award-winning Graceland for USA Network, the worldwide phenomenon The Hunger Games, and several short 
short films as an actor. He found a gift behind the camera as well. He is Nikki's creative partner and lead producer with their company K-Factor. He is Ryan Delaney. Finally, a highly accomplished actor who started out in the Emmy-nominated shows The Mentalist and Numbers, quickly landing his own show on Nickelodeon, Bucket and Skinner's Epic Adventures. He cemented himself into pop culture history, working on projects with Disney, including the feature Walt Before Mickey, and playing an important part of the Star Wars animated universe as a voice artist. There's something very special about him as an actor that instantly makes the viewer feel at home, whether in comedy, intense drama, and everything in between. He is Taylor Gray. The new movie is Night Nights, available everywhere now. Once again, we are honored to welcome its director, Nikki Koss, producer Ryan Delaney, and one of its stars, Taylor Gray. Yeah. Those might have been the best intros I've ever heard. Dude, <laughs> wow. I would have to agree. That was a great intro. Nikki, holy hell. I did not know. Know. got me until halfway through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. So starting with Nikki. So excuse our language here, but you directed the living shit out of this thing. Thank you. It is so unique. It is fresh. It's enchanting. Every frame is eye candy. The performances are wonderful. The vision your team has demonstrated on this with attention to detail in everything from set design to astonishing use of negative space, which we fucking commend you on. That's unbelievable. The scares are really artful. You guys really know what the fuck you were doing. And we wanted to commend each and every one of you. (laughs) And of course, Brenna, who couldn't make it today. Ryan, you got to bring this film back to your hometown in Missouri as your first project as a producer to the theater you grew up with, completely selling out three of them. How did it feel to have this particular film be the one that you got to do that with? Oh my gosh. You know, the whole experience has just been so, you know, <laughs> unreal. It's, it's just, it's a dream. It really is. And to see, you know, it, yeah, of course people are going to support me and my team, but they not only like supported us, they supported the movie because they really enjoyed it. They enjoyed the trailer. They enjoyed like the stills and reading like our articles that we were releasing. And they were so excited and to actually be able to deliver, not just deliver like me and Nikki and some of my stars and our writer and executive producer in my hometown at the theater I grew up at, but to deliver a movie that they're still talking about is just un- unreal, speechless. Oh, that is so awesome. And Nikki, Nikki, what is it about Ryan that elevates a project? Oh my gosh, I love that question. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, Ryan has a gift, I'm sure Taylor can agree, unlike anything I've ever seen, where he can just immediately put people at ease just with his presence alone. And he's so good at um, we he always talks about how he doesn't like conflict, but he's better than anyone I've ever met at dealing with conflict. And he just has this way with people where he can see their skills immediately before even having a conversation with them. He um, he's just an incredible producer in every way, but his skills with people in particular are really, really special. It's his superpower. I always tell him that. And they call him the fireman, as I understand. <laughs> Do we call yeah. you that, Ryan? <laughs> uh, some I don't know so much you, but there's some I other people who are like part really I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and run. They're like, like, he really is he's so great because he he can 
he obviously can make anyone laugh and is just like lights up a room with his energy and his um, humor and all his crazy stories. But he really has the ability to make everyone in the room feel special and feel like they're there for a reason, which they are. And he's really able to help them understand what that reason is. So, um, you know, I, I want Ryan on everything I do. I always tell him that. Oh, that's so amazing. And Taylor, you've worked with all sorts of directors before in many different types of situations. What are the things that are unique to the experience of working with Nikki? And what do you love about the effect that she had on your performance? Um, yeah, no, for sure. I think every project you do, you have different circumstances in a different environment and how a director navigates that environment is to me, a big sign of their abilities and who they are and what they're capable of. And I think the circumstances we were under, which Ryan and Nikki know there were certain things that, um, we had to work around or work through or work with. And Nikki was great at kind of rolling with every one of the punches and still having very creative ideas um, that were innovative and fun. And she was always down with like a fresh take, which I think is fun because some people I think can play it safe a bit. And Nikki was down to, uh, to go for it. And I mean, not to mention the very first time I met her, she directed, she, well, you're directing me via a walkie talkie or something, right? Like you're in a hotel, or a hotel a hospital bed directing <laughs> the very first scene that I did. So that's just, it, we got off on the right foot. Oh my yeah. God. In a hospital bed. What happened? What went down? Yeah, so we were actually shooting in a hospital um, and my throat started to close up. <laughs> I have that effect when I meet people. (laughs) (laughs) Like some sort of allergic reaction to something? I was was having an allergic reaction. To this day, I don't know what it was, too. But um, maybe it was to Taylor, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, so I I was like, I feel like I can't swallow what's going on. And Ryan was like, we're taking you to the... ER unit like immediately and I was like no we can't do that like I have to direct this movie and he's like we're, we're gonna find a way so um you know 45 minutes later I'm sitting in the hospital bed got they've got more me like amped up with the morphine and I've got the uh walkie in one hand and the FaceTime in the other on the monitor and oh, yeah. oh my god that's brilliant <laughs> yes. wild and then you know I, I remember the first time I met Taylor I think was when I, I was being wheeled through the thing in a wheelchair like Everyone was just, it was pure pandemonium. They were like wheeling me through to the scene. <laughs> you are kidding me. Wow. What a, what a fitting wow. start <laughs> to yeah. this insane wow. movie too. And, and thankfully we were filming at a hospital, right? right? Because that could have been a whole situation if we weren't. Not that it wasn't already a situation. <laughs> oh my God. So <laughs> I don't know if Taylor didn't leave after that, honestly. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> Taking a step back and taking a broader look at what has become K-Factor, can you guys talk a bit about its inception and strength? Yeah, so um, I started K-Factor in March and I had always wanted to start my own production company, but I didn't really, I always felt like I I, I had all these projects that I was um, a part of in some capacity and had some level of ownership over And I wanted to put them all under one umbrella and timing just played out really well. And everything kind of fell into alignment when it finally decided to come to fruition. And then immediately um, I called Ryan right away and I was like, Hey, 
starting this production company. I want you to, you know, kind of be my right hand man here and be a part of it. And um, he was extremely excited to do that. And it just um, then Samantha and Becky came into play and the four of us are such a good team and we all bring something different to the table and we really have something special. And I attribute it to my team a hundred percent. And the discovery of this amazing script for Night Night by Robert Johnson and the very grounded perspective that it made, it made it incredibly impactful. And I was wondering if you could just tell everyone, I, I know a bit of the backstory about his script and where he's from, his background. Um, can you share that with uh, the listener? It's a pretty wild situation. So <laughs> Bobby J, Robert Johnson, he's actually the chief of police of the town we shot in, Corsicana. And I had met him a few years prior to Night Night um, because I was I was acting in a film in that area and he had a smaller part in it. I think he was playing a cop and he called me up and he said, I wrote this script. I wrote it in two days um, and it's loosely based off of several different people that I've come into contact with throughout my time on the force, which that was immediately what drew me to it, um, just how based in reality it was. And he said, I want you to be a part of it. And then, you know, shortly after we found our executive producer, Amber, and then we, we found Ryan. And then the next thing I know, we're making this movie in Corsicana. Together. <laughs> so we want to get into casting here. So Brenna D'Amico, there yes. is something about yes. her eyes, her expressions oh. and the way, Nikki, that you play off of those and yeah. ignite those elements with the choreography and color her delivery even, it might seem weird to say, but it's almost hypnotizing. You really fall under a spell with this. What yes. led you to your April? What was the moment you knew she was the movie? Well, thank you for saying that because that was absolutely the goal. And that's what I felt every time I would watch Brenna perform. And I would just like, she's kind of in this weird dreamlike state throughout the whole film. And you don't really know what's real or what's fake and what's in her head. And um, I started to feel that effect when I would watch her act. So I felt like that was just um, a, such a no brainer to cast her as the lead. But I didn't, um, she didn't audition for this. I, I offered her the role. Um, we had mutual friends and I, we've hung out a couple of times and I felt like, you know, obviously she had the right look for the character, but again, there was something about her. I call her the doll human because <laughs> she's literally like watching a real life porcelain doll play out in live action. And I, I just loved the idea of um, I knew she had the chops to pull it off. And I love the idea of her having the opportunity to have a space where she could really, um, you know, show what she has to offer as far as acting goes. And I hadn't seen her um, given the opportunity to do that to this capacity before. So I was excited for that. And I knew that she would bring a fresh um take on it and because of that she would be very collaborative which she was and um i guess kind of every all of those elements came together to the ultimate decision to cast her but i she surpassed every everything i wanted and thought she would bring to the table and more she's just phenomenal what was the first scene you guys shot i was just curious um it was the scene where she got out of the car with Robert and they pulled up to the house for the first time. Very interesting. And yeah. speaking about that house and just uh, a bit more about that character of April, a lot of her journey is internalized 
as she's by herself in this this mansion. What was the process and challenge of directing a silent performance in those situations? Well, thank God for Brenda, because I didn't really have to do a lot of directing with with her, to be honest. Um, it was kind of just throwing an idea out, like even if it was just a word or two, and then she would just understand exactly. She just spoke the language. And it was like that with Taylor, too, and several other cast members. Um, but it was very collaborative. And we had a lot of conversations before the film shot and we went out to dinner a couple of times and she had done a lot of journaling on the character and she was very like prep heavy when she um, plays a character. And we were, I got, I made her a playlist, um, which I remember Jacob on Dreamcatcher did for me. And I just found that so helpful as an actor and um, April takes a lot of baths in the movie. So I, I was like forcing her to take like baths all the time and listen to the- <laughs> playlist and just really get into it so i think because of all that by the time we got there it was her and i were both able to just look at each other and that was the direction right there you know what were some of the songs on the playlist i love music so i'm always interested what would her character listen to question um bye 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 (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that was that was the the first one on there. No, um, there was like some Lana Del Rey, like some moody stuff like that. And then there was um, like Strange Fruit and some oldies that have like kind of creepy elements to them. And what else was there? I have to kind of take another look. at. There was a lot of French, weird, like old French music. Yeah, like French 60s yeah. pop and all that great stuff. Yeah, yeah. weird French 60s pop, which I, I tried to infuse a lot into the film. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just felt like that was April's playlist. Um, so a lot of the, the music that I put on that playlist found its way conceptually into the film. Yeah. Well, you should do a Spotify playlist for everyone and share it with all this. The soundtrack is out on Spotify. It is. Oh, that's amazing. Nice. Oh, I know what I'm doing after this. (laughs) One of the very first things that we noticed in the film is Taylor as Jax. He is so complex and very not internalized and even just in body language and in his intensity alone. That really is what pulls you into the movie with what you do, Taylor. Not two minutes into the film, we first see you. You ground the entire thing. In fact, you are underground. You're down and out. You know, what, what do you think that polarity of him, him and April does to the story, Taylor? Um, I think that was sort of the goal, right, with something that is so um ethereal and ephemeral right like the having the antithesis of that as someone who is related to her i think i that was the aim for that character you know what i mean but also that's who that character seems to be i think the thing was trying trying to figure out what world we were entering because i had a clear idea of what that character is but then depending on if you're in a wes anderson film or this film or Alfonso Cuaron, that same character is actually going to have like different tinges, right? In each one of those worlds where you're like, uh, they, they come off this way or that way. But in this film, I just felt like it was something that I, I think Nikki could speak to it more needed some sort of like intensity that was from a very grounded place where, um, I, you, you feel for him and hopefully feel for April and what she's doing. He should just be another pressure put on April, presumably. Right. 
Nikki, how did it feel to you uh, kind of watch that character come to life and inform the, the film, actually? Yeah, so, I mean, Taylor's just so good. I just love, love, love working with him. I just want to do every project with him. But Taylor has this ability um, to take a character and literally run with it and make it his own in a way that feels um, comfortable and right, but may, but you also like don't see coming really. Um, and he, well, the one thing I remember we were casting this film and um, Taylor's audition stood out to all of us. Obviously we cast him, but um, the main thing that stood out with Taylor's acting for me was how strong of his, how strong his choices were and how unique they were and fearless and bold and kind of weird. Um, and I, I remember from that audition being so excited to just get him in a set environment, get him in the clothes, get him around the other actors and just see what crazy choices he comes up with. And um, really more so than anyone, when Taylor started i i don't know if you remember this taylor I'm, i barely do because morphine on my er day but um <laughs> i <laughs> i remember trusting taylor like really i didn't even know him i hadn't even met him so so much um and i i didn't even give you any direction that that first scene which was literally all you it was a, the one around taylor and i said um i just i i know you you got this and i trust you and I just want to see what you what you give me here. And that was really the process with Taylor throughout the experience was what what do you got for me? And then if I needed to like, you know, tinker with anything, which I hardly needed to do, great. And he was very collaborative and we really like bounced off each other well. But I was always so excited to get behind the monitor and see what he would do next. So this is the scene you're talking about is like at the 10 minute mark when he's sitting at the hospital and so it's like a monologue. He's just it's mm -hmm. cameras on him and he's he's just devastated in that scene. That's the one when you were in the hospital bed with the morphine directing. Yeah, there was actually it wasn't supposed to be a wonder. It was kind of um, a last yeah. idea that my DP and I decided on. But I knew he would be able to pull it off. And I said to him, I was like, Taylor, this is every actor's dream just this is all you like feel it all do it all like let it all just run for you and just let it let us watch it go down however it goes down because this is all you here and he was like i got it don't say anything else i got it <laughs> oh my god so do you remember it wasn't like i think we were supposed to shoot a, I, my first scene was not that on the really? like, schedule it was supposed to be something else that got moved and they're like so we're going to go into this is the first scene and you're like, yeah. oh, shit. Well, hopefully I can figure out who this character is before the first <laughs> yeah. scene is, is that. And it was not meant to be a one or a first. Like it was going to be a scene. So you're like, yeah, well, on one hand, I do remember she was like, this is every actor's dream. And I was like, also every actor's nightmare. Like I've, I've done a handful of monologues in my life. This is different because like it's one of those things that it's like a double edged sword where you're like, if you do it well, then hopefully it plays. And if you don't, people are like, well, I hope this character doesn't come on screen again. You know what I mean? Because it is, it can be a bit of a trap where you're like, uh, I don't know. There, there's, you could really milk it. You know what I mean? And that also wouldn't work in any sense. Yeah. It's a delicate balance. He was literally reading with a PA too. or just like to point out. I, he's just, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, is the was voice of the doctor a, the PA? Or, no. or is it, no. was it replaced after? <laughs> oh, my God. What a crazy, happy accident. Yeah. And it's now baked into the personality of the movie that it's so, so cool. One last thing about casting. Tony Todd and Eric Roberts are in this thing, too. No biggie, right? How the hell did that happen? Um, gosh. <laughs> well, we ran through a plethora of different names and options and um well, i think when we finally landed on those two they felt really they felt right for the characters but i think especially with tony todd his um background in the genre and his sort of built-in audience felt like a really good match for this film and this demo and just everything we wanted to achieve with this project so that was i mean such a no-brainer and it it almost felt like it turned out to be like this weird Easter egg moment every time we would come on screen. And it, um, I'm just, it, I think it really panned out even better than we had hoped. Yeah. Nikki, there are some fun scare scenes featuring Brenda's character, April, where she sees something that cuts quickly to more horror. It made for effective, well-crafted, creepy scenes born from your directing and uh, the editing process. Were there any specific movies that inspired those scenes? Um, well, I watched a lot of psych thrillers leading up to filming this. Um, and I'd say like my biggest info for the scare, the jump scares would be get out just because, um, he really leans into the, the idea of a jump scare and like, uh, lays out the classic formula so well. And, um, I wanted to kind of take that classic formula and and tinker with it a little bit and turn it on its head a little bit. But um, as far as those particular moments, I would say that film was an inspiration for the jump scares. The Boo Crew will be right back. Two Alfred Hitchcock thrillers for the price of one. Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie starring Sean Connery, the screen's most exciting star, and Tippi Hedren. Plus, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, starring Rod Taylor, Jessica Tandy, Suzanne Plachette, and Tippi Hedren. The Birds could be the most terrifying picture I've ever made. Two Hitchcock thrillers for the price of one. Marnie and The Birds, both in Technicolor. It's also at one point where we experienced the rich sound design of this journey. And the first time we noticed it is the kind of the way the score is altered to match the frenzy of Jack's, his drug craving up, uh, up until the drugs kick in in the bathroom of the hospital, right into the sound of the film muting as his AirPods are in. And these are the sonic details that kind of make the movie because you care, we care as viewers. Another moment when April's listening to that French song on the turntable and it slams into the score and then it's woven in and through it and it's just beautiful. Talk a bit about the importance of not only taking us on a visual journey, but to spend that time circumventing what we hear as well. Um, What a great question. Um, Well, it's funny that you brought that up because Taylor and I to this day, we still really go back and forth about that song with him in the bathroom (laughs) doing the drugs. (laughs) Um, But actually with that song in particular, I was watching um, an episode of Vikings, which is like one of my favorite shows. And there was, they have 
like every other episode on that show is um, a big war scene or like, you know, half of the episode is just them at war. And um, it's hard to do that so often and not and and really find different ways to make each one original and feel like a totally different experience when it's really all the same, you know, so like a battle scene. So there was one where there was this really bizarre, chaotic music that just felt like it was like someone almost having like a panic attack via song. And it was it felt like so uncomfortable, paralleled with what was actually playing out in front of me. And I just the uncomfortability of that um, dichotomy was really interesting to me. And I wanted to play with that throughout the film and, um, you know, psych thrillers and especially horror thrillers there's again a formula for the music that we are conditioned to know and love and feel comfortable with and i wanted to stray from that and and make it feel stylized visually but also um you know via the 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 sound and the music so i paid really close attention to that and i just i put honestly selfishly i put a lot of the kind of music that i like into it um and i like to listen to and killing eve was a huge inspiration for me for the music um i just think that film i mean that show comes alive via the music and i so i took like a lot of pieces of different different things as far as my inspo for the music and the sound but ultimately it kind of created this weird concoction that was the soundtrack (laughs) beautiful there's some very cool effects in this movie. Let's talk about the car crash. And I've always wondered this. Like, I mean, it looks massive. There's like flames and sparks and there's a car flipped over. Like, how complicated is it to do a scene like that? Really complicated. I, I have to be honest, there was a big learning curve for me on that scene. And I felt really um, like I really needed to have Robert, who's the writer, who's also a police chief who knows that world so well, he really helped guide me through the um, choreography of that scene as well as my DP. But I mean, Ryan will tell you it was it was complicated. All those firemen and cops were real firemen and cops and they were not actors. And so um, we relied on their expertise quite Mm -hmm. a bit for that scene. And um, I mean, yeah, Ryan, and it was cold too. Ryan and I were hiding out in an ambulance <laughs> all night. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan, talk, talk, talk us through it a bit. It's just setting that up and the things that went into it. Yeah, you know, it, she's absolutely right. It was very cold night. That was a night scene, and but something really cool. I don't know if you know people know this or not, but Nikki and I actually got to go to like the junkyard and pick out the car and like crush it and like take a sledgehammer to it and so that was really fun right nikki i yeah. think we got a lot of frustration out we did it was very cathartic for us i think all <laughs> producers before they start shooting need to take a sledgehammer to we a car. absolutely like, need to and we had a lot of fun with that <laughs> like so destroying crazy. it how we wanted it you know and yeah. then really seeing like we made the car destroyed and then we got to see it like arrived to the accident scene it was Again, it was magic. It was like magic. Those little bits Unreal. of crap over the floor are like jelly. And I have to say they are so fun to play with. It's like yeah. I'm getting so distracted picking up the little things and like squishing them. 
And That's I've so never cool. been in the back of an uh, ambulance before. So that was kind of where her and I hung out at. So we kind of have fun hanging out back there. You know, that was fun. Yeah. I'm glad you answered that question because, you know, I've never been on a film set and I've never witnessed like someone filming a scene of an accident. I'm like, do they go to like an accident shop and be like, I want that car that looks total? Yeah. Or do they total a car? Like, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to find that out. And, yeah. and, and speaking on that world building, so it is kind of at that point in the movie where things take a, a crazy shift, right? And the world that you have chosen to build around this script works very much as a shock to the system with this color palette and details that you just aren't expecting to be there as a viewer. And because you aren't expecting it, absolutely nothing feels safe. And that's where that horror thriller element really crawls inside of our head and makes us an active participant along with April. Was any of that stuff on the page in the script? Did it go into those details at all? Um, well, Thank you for saying that, by the way. You're just nailing like everything I wanted to achieve. <laughs> um, so this is just great to hear. Um, so Robert was very open to um, allowing me to collaborate him with what was on the page. And I had a very specific vision for it. And a lot of the time I needed to implement that on the page in order to get it across to different departments. So he allowed me to put, you know, as much as we could um, into the script. And then a lot of it, I'm, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, Ryan will attest to this, how many times on set I would say, oh, we're doing it this way. We're going to do, we're going to try this. And everyone would look at me and be like, are you sure? Like mm -hmm. the amount of times people said, are you sure to me on this movie is absurd. I, I <laughs> myself several times, but I was just like, you got to go with your gut here. Like <laughs> it's going to be crazy, but we're taking a risk. And um, so to answer your question, yes, a lot of it ended up into in the script, but a lot of it was also just me coming up with weird ideas the day before and everyone being like, are you sure? <laughs> Did, like, did the whole aesthetic of the mansion and everything, was that in the script? No, it wasn't. Um, and when we were looking for a location for the house, I was really specific on the kind of location I wanted. Um, and I made like a five page, basically collage of different locations that had the vibe that I wanted and that I was going for. And then Robert, who lived in the town, was able to kind of go around and talk to different real estate agents and see what was available to us. And the town that, I mean, the house that we landed on actually used to be an old uh, like bed and breakfast and it was totally haunted. And, you know, the people were, who lived in it were kind enough to let us use it and let us really give it a whole new flavor with production design. And yeah, it was a wild experience shooting in that house. Did anything paranormal happen while you were there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like we all had a weird. I mean, Wait, our, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, I would. Where were you? You were spending too much time in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was a that basement that um the end scene was, and we were going to shoot it in the basement of the house, but it ended up being too dangerous because 
it was just a precarious basement. But our DIT at one point went down there during lunch to take flash pictures all throughout that basement. And you can literally see ghosts in pictures. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild. And there were certain rooms that like the owners of the house keep locked and don't go into because they're, they feel like there's entities in there. And every time they go in, weird stuff happens to them or like they feel like they're being touched. And we had to go in some of those rooms a couple of times to put like video village and stuff in there. And they were like 30, not 30, but like 10 degrees colder than the rest Freezing. of the house. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. Absolutely. Every single shot of this movie could be framed and hung on a wall. Thank Every you. scene is blissfully designed with this kind of song of color and everything dances off everything else and the screen just lights on fire. Like the cop comes over and the house wraps around him. <laughs> the color of his shirt brings him into it. And, and Ryan and Nikki, tell us a bit about the alchemy of color at play here, what it signifies, what was the process like of making sure every eye was dotted where that was concerned to an exhausting extent with the, with the details in this. I haven't, I haven't seen anything like it. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think I ever need to do another interview again. After <laughs> <laughs> on this high note. <laughs> but, um, um, so color, I mean, is a huge element to filmmaking for me personally. And um, everything I've done before, color plays a really, really, really big role in the project and is a character in itself in a way. And my goal as a filmmaker is always to have one of my films, like, let's say someone's watching one of my films and they don't know I'm directing it. They still know somehow because of the way it looks and because, you know, it's, it's true to the style that they've associated with me. Um, so just, you know, my personal filmmaking style has a lot to do with color and it just automatically caught, you know, baked into this film. But I also wanted to, uh, stray again from that go-to formula with psych thrillers that we know and love and a lot of them we see really um a lot of dark colors are infused in it and, and shadowy lighting and um it's 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 very familiar to us within this genre and i wanted to create an aesthetic that felt really unfamiliar paralleled with the genre and would ultimately hopefully allow for more uncomfortability throughout and that feeling of not being safe because it's so unlike what you're used to within that arena. So, um, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning of the film, the colors are really bright and um, vibrant and then they dull throughout and then they go back to vibrant again and um, buttoning them with specific tones was important too. But I think all of that kind of just, came into play to to create what it was i mean ryan what what would you say on that end i'm curious yeah so i would say that you know my job as as the producer one of my biggest jobs you know on night night was to make sure you know nikki's vision as a director comes to life and one of those visions was like you know if she wanted pink wallpaper and the wallpapers you know blue i'm gonna make damn sure that she gets her pink wallpaper and it's up and cause that's her vision. Right. And I knew how important it was to kind of like really hear Nikki. And I'd never really, I don't think I've ever questioned any of your 
decisions. Yeah, I like the only one that was like, all I, right, I want a wallpaper hospital. Let's do it. Let's do it. Or like, we'll make this happen. So I think it was really important for me to, you know, I, I you really have to trust your director and your director has to trust you. And as a producer, it was my job to kind of eliminate all the roadblocks that might've been put up that would affect her creative, you know, um, vision. So I, I think she stuck really, you know, to her guns about like what she wanted. And, you know, it, she never asked for anything that was, you know, just completely left field or unrealistic, you know, and it might've seemed unrealistic to certain people because it was like, Whoa, I don't get that. But, you know, that's why she's, you know, the director and everyone has their own um, roles. And I think it's not up sometimes to other people like to kind of question the director. So that's where I came in and kind of said, Hey, you know, she's the director. It's our job to make sure this vision comes to life. So give me that pink wallpaper. <laughs> right. Yeah. How crazy did it get? Did you actually have to have that warehouse painted pink and then that pink pickup no. truck that's in front of it? Did you have to do that? Uh, well, I actually drove by that warehouse like randomly one day when we were in town. No way. I was like, <laughs> I called Robert because he's the pink week, and I was like, I need to shoot a scene there. Like, let's create a dream sequence scene and shoot it there. Do you know the guy who owns it? Like, how do we get in there? And of course he knew the guy who owned it and it had that pink truck out front. And I think that's like one of the reasons there were a bunch of different weird colored trucks out front to go with that one. But that dream sequence was actually built from me seeing that location on the freeway. (laughs) How perfect is that? Wow. So tell us about the costume design team. Um, we had a great team of costume designers, right? Yeah. <laughs> we actually got uh, most of our costumes from the, was it the high school or just the local I, theater? I think it was a local, local Corsicana theater. We got to go in and kind of, you know, check we, everything yeah. out. We went into their big, like costume warehouse and just pulled nightgown after nightgown after nightgown. Really? Cause those, I mean, those yeah. stand out That's immensely, so cool. those nightgowns, right? That's kind yeah. of like the signature yeah. piece, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Breno, I remember when she first was doing her fitting and it was just all these weird vintage nightgowns. She was like, this is not at all what I expected from this <laughs> character. And she had to sort of recalibrate her initial, um, thoughts on the character based on that and and ultimately came up with some really cool backstory of why she dresses like that but um yeah the nightgowns were important because i just felt like they really signify the dreamlike state that i wanted to portray throughout and um just the overall concept really got tied in well with i think the nightgowns well i assume you had to give them back and you weren't able to keep any of them but did you keep the stuffed monkey did you keep any of the props from the production i did <laughs> Ooh, i have the stuffed monkey in my living room yeah oh, that's awesome that's so cool <laughs> and, and, walking around at night with that thing just sitting there but <laughs> well it's funny because you know some of like my family members before they seen the movie um, you know, they would always be like, why is there a monkey? There? I was like, oh, you got to see it. So then they watched it and then they woke up. My sister woke up in the middle of the night and she was at my place in LA. And she was like, all I could think about is looking at that monkey you have. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Leo, you had a great question, man. Jump in with yours. Yeah. Ryan and Nikki, uh, were there any scenes that had to be cut or reimagined due to budget time or complexity? Everyone. <laughs> 
Uh, we, that's, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, I had to, well, I don't want to say like compromise my vision. I'll just say I had to um, recalibrate the vision quite a few times based on the budget. Um, and we, obviously, you know, we had to make our days because there were no pickup shoots, um, you know, built into the budget. Um, so we had to get it all. And there were a lot of um, obstacles we had to go through. And my vision for this film was so specific that it was a huge, um, it was a really amazing learning experience for me as a director, knowing that, you know, I go into things as a director, extremely almost like prepared to a fault. And um, I just have to show up and kind of let it all go when I get there and roll with the punches. And I had a great crew and um, team of producers that was able to help me um, improvise and and get creative and rethink things. But yes, every single scene was not really what I initially intended it to be going into it. We thought that the way you show the passing of time by the way, the light was cast on the antique chandelier was masterful. How did you come up with that idea? Um, geez, how did I come up with that idea? <laughs> um, there was a lot of moments throughout the, the story that we had to show a passage of time. And it was really hard to do that in one space, especially when, um, you know, the next scene is in the exact same position and location that you were just in. Um, so that chandelier, I love chandeliers and feel very inspired by them. Um, aesthetically, I just feel like they're really in alignment with what I love. So when I saw that chandelier, I wanted to utilize it in some way. And I think it just became, it became the happy medium of finding a creative outlet for the, you know, showing the passage of time. How, how did you, on that note, how did you do the trick with the clock fading through the hours and in seconds? Did yeah. you have something made specially or how did it work? It was uh, VFX. That's <laughs> so cool. Thank and the way Brenna played to it was awesome too. It was so thank fun. Thank you. And thank you for <laughs> noticing that because I don't think anyone's really noticed that yet or brought it up. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> Our favorite scene in the entire movie. Well, we actually have two. One of them we can't talk about. Um, the other we can't really talk about either, but we'll allude to it. Um, so from the moment when the camera circles April at the lemon table to what happens after that, the camera feels like serpentine, like almost like a snake in the way that it moves through. And this is a really next level stuff. What was your concept for the voice of the camera? So um, I love that scene too. I wanted the camera to feel in that moment like the um, mysterious entity that she was scared of, but she didn't know, um, you know, what it looked like, what it was, what it felt like. So I wanted the camera to become that sort of monster in the house, quote unquote. So um, it actually was supposed to be smoother. And um, for budgetary reasons, we weren't able to get it to the exact um level of movement that I wanted it to be, but it was really a happy accident that it turned out the way it did because I think the um, the slight messiness of it really contributed to the overall goal. And we have this amazing old MGM style pulp novel poster that we are obsessed <laughs> with. We want to hear about everything that went into that. 
Oh my God. We went through so many posters on this movie, maybe like 12 different designs. So too many. It was stressful. Different designers. And, you know, not to say that any of them weren't good, but um, they just weren't what I wanted. And to be honest with you, I didn't really know what I wanted, which was part of the problem. And designing a poster um, is so hard. And finding, you know, figuring out what you want a poster to be is even harder. And that one, I I was so frustrated and fed up. We landed on a poster. Um, It was actually a still of her in the bath and it just said night, night on top. And it was fine. Like I was happy enough with it, but I didn't, I wanted like a really warm, fuzzy feeling every time I looked at the poster and I wanted to feel like stoked about it every time I glanced at it. And so I found this old Bridget Bardot movie poster and I just sent it to our designer and I was like let's just like redefine this a little bit and like slightly modernize it and give it like a little bit of a twist but really it was really similar to the poster I have to admit um and that was the, the whole inspiration for it it's beautiful we haven't seen anything really like it I mean especially in recent years like it's like a total throwback it's it's amazing guys yeah. it's so, uh, Leo, do you have any more questions about the film or do we uh, go into the future here? Yeah, I have a quick one for, uh, for Taylor here. W- working with Nikki, what did you learn uh, from her as a director on this film? What did I learn? I learned how to, uh, learned how to roll some punches. I learned, uh, I learned, I mean, it, it was every, every experience is a learning process, isn't it? Like uh, you, you learn a new langri- language of collaboration um you it was very interesting to see how what we were doing was translated into what we see now because at times you you hope to be able to visualize what you're doing so that you can put yourself into the most effective place for uh it to come across and so i was i was surprised to see some of the visuals and as you guys have all spoken about how cool some of them were um but yeah it was just a really fun process and it was nice that um Nikki's so collaborative and down to take like novel ideas and let them be experimented with because that's kind of what the art form is, isn't it? And so some people I feel like are a little more rigid in uh, how they go about directing, but Nikki was, uh, was very, very cool and collaborative with it all. And Ryan, how about you, man? I mean, crashing into this very elaborate project and and all the different hats that you had to wear as a producer, what have you learned from this project that you want to apply to your next production that you work on? I think just nothing that I actually like learn, but it's stuff that I've learned in the past that I applied like to the projects to get, you know, the end game to make sure everything kind of all comes into place and that would be communication. And you know what? I take that back. Actually, one thing is to really talk to every single person like on my crew and like my team and find out what is their, you know, weakness and what is, you know, what do they excel at? So I know where to place them, you know, to give you an example, we had a, we had a PA who, um, you know, he's never been a PA before. And so he was on our set. So he was very new. And so it was really important for me to not send him to go do stuff that would maybe take more time, but to know like what he's good at. And there was like an issue on set one day with one of the trailers and, you know, after talking to him in the very beginning, I knew what he was good at and that was fixing things. And he wasn't very vocal about that. He was very quiet about that. And so 
I was like, Hey, you could, you could do this. And he did it. And everyone was so happy and they like cheered for him and it really gave him that confidence. So I think I would say, I don't think if I could build my crew's confidence, they could do, you know, their jobs really, really well. Right. Anyone who has confidence could really excel at what they do. So to really listen, to really just pay attention to where my crew, you know, um, succeeds at and follow through with it. That's a fantastic answer. And Nikki, Nikki, ending with you, what is coming up next from K factor? I know you guys got so many things going on. What what can we see next? Yeah, so much is happening right now. Um, (laughs) So we are about to release a music video that we worked on um, by Tolly Maiden. It's called prettiest girl in LA. And it's really an interesting take on um, visual expectations of women in LA um so that's coming out probably in the next week or so and then we are working on a couple features right now that are in different stages of the game but our 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 main focus right now is on a romantic comedy that is really cool it's written by guys and i'm going to direct it so it's told you know from all gender perspectives in a way and we've got some you know we've got a horror in the works and um yeah just i would say keep an eye on kfactorfilms.com or on instagram because there's really really exciting stuff coming out and unfortunately we can't be too detailed about it other than that but it's 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 out there it's coming it's in the pipeline it's it's (laughs) happening and there's no timeline really it could happen tomorrow it could happen you know in a couple months that's so exciting. Well, oh, that's you, awesome. you listening right now, if you have not seen Night Night yet, get out there and track it down. You will not regret it. It is so unique and so fun and scary as all hell. So I'm saying this right now. It will scare the <laughs> shit out of you. Nikki, Ryan and Taylor, thank you guys so much for your vision and your grace for doing something unique and creative and for being a vital part and helping others do the same and allowing them a podium to scream their ideas from. It is so important what you are all doing and we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. That was the Blue Crew Podcast, episode 289. Special thanks to our guests, Nikki Koss, Ryan Delaney, and Taylor Gray. At time of release, their new movie, Night Night, is available on VOD now. Follow at K Factor Films on Instagram to stay in touch with what they're doing. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The the Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.